You are listening to the Reality Church Ventura podcast, a collection of sermons from our weekly Sunday gatherings. To learn more about reality, visit us online at realityventura.com. My name is Raymond. I have the privilege of serving on the greeting team, and today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 21 through 25, and Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 from the NIV. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is God's word. Thank you. Man, friends, we are continuing our series through the parables called the stories of Jesus, and we've learned that parables are like a window, a mirror, and a door. They're like a window giving us specific insight into how God's kingdom works. They're like a mirror reflecting our own lives back to us. They're also like a door inviting us to step out and to follow Jesus. And today we're asking the question with the parable of the lamp, where do we find guidance? How do we know how we're supposed to live? Let's pray together and let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us all this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us in the dark. You have spoken and you have acted in our world, in time and in history to save us and bring us into relationship with yourself. And we pray and ask this morning for anyone here who does not yet know you, that they would come to know you today. And for your church, that we would continue to follow you, that we would understand your role in our lives, the decisions we make, the direction that we go. God, we pray that we would hide nothing from you, but that we would truly walk in your light. So Spirit of God, will you speak to us today? Open our hearts as we open your word, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, it's a simple but important question. Where do you find guidance? What are the most prominent influences in your decision-making process? For some of us, it might be our relatives. It could be your parents or your, your siblings. Their opinions, their, their wisdom predominantly shapes the decisions that you make in life. 
For others, maybe it's your friend, it's your social circle, your, your peers, like their influence into your lives and their opinions on matters of like school and work and decisions, like that really impacts you and determines your decisions. For some of us, it might even be the news or social media, what we view in broader culture. And so we need to ask, where am I finding guidance? What are my go-to resources? If you're not a Christian this morning, you need to ask, what is it that ultimately shapes yours? And why should you trust that guidance? See, friends, these are important questions to ask because the decisions you make in life determine the direction of your life. So we're asking together this morning as we come to God's word, where should we look for guidance? Where should we look as a church, especially in our time? Well, I'm happy to say this morning that the answer to these questions are no secrets. In the short but powerful parable of the lamp and the measure, we learn fundamental truths about how we find guidance. And I just want to highlight three keys to finding guidance that we discover through these short parables. We need to understand God's place in our lives, embrace his purpose for our lives, and accept his promise to our lives. That is how we find guidance. First, you need to understand God's place in your life. Now, in this parable, we need to bear in mind that when Jesus makes a reference to a lamp, he's doing so 2,000 years ago. In the ancient world, where a lamp in a home was essentially the source of light for the entire house. Because in those days, your house was essentially one giant room. And when a lamp was brought in, it needed to be placed in the very center and out in the open. And so Jesus says in Mark 4, 21, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, you place it on its stand. In the ancient world, of course, darkness was a plague. We often take light for granted. We, we even have what we might call light pollution, like you can't even get away from it. In Southern California, you're on the grid, you've got street lights, like there's light everywhere. But the minute it goes out, you realize how important it is. Or for those of you who love being in a rural environment, you're like, I hate light pollution. I just want to get away. But that's because you choose it. But when it's dark and you have no control, it was like a plague back then. And therefore, oftentimes in the Bible, darkness is used as a symbol. At times, darkness is used to symbolize fallen humanity. Because we've all turned away from God, because we've all sinned against God, we are walking in darkness. Like somebody trying to find their way in a home, they like can't see anything, and you trip, and you, you fall, you run into a wall. Like that's humanity without God in this world. We build our lives on lies and untruths. It's like walking in darkness. But at other times, the Bible uses darkness to symbolize our lives under the shadow of death, meaning there's no hope. It's darkness. 
Which is why even when we talk about depression or anxiety, oftentimes we use the term like dark thoughts or walking in darkness. Friends, that's the bleak backdrop for the good news about Jesus. Because into darkness, the light has come. Jesus is the light of the world. God himself often refers to himself as light over and over again. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, the apostle John, in writing about God, says, this is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And when we think of guidance, even God's word, the Bible, is referred to as light. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, your word is a what? A lamp for my feet and a light on my path. So what does this mean practically for us? Because this short parable of the lamp being brought into the room and not being covered up under a bowl or under a bed shows us God's place in our lives. If you want guidance, if you want God's guidance, you need to know God's place. And where is his place? In the center and out in the open. That's where God belongs in your life. Like a lamp in a room, first, he must be in the center. See, whatever is in the center of your life will determine how you live your life. Whatever is most important, whatever you find yourself thinking about over and over again on a daily basis, whatever is most central, most valuable, will determine the way that you live. So even the image of the lamp being in the center of, of the room itself is helpful and important. When you see the people of God gather in the Old Testament, oftentimes the place of worship was in the middle of the community. So all the people knowing that the place of worship was in the center, center of their gathering reminded them that God was to be in the center of their lives. This even practically shapes the way that we even order our service on a Sunday morning. Like here on the stage, we have the communion elements that we will invite believers in Christ to receive later. Front and center, reminders of who Jesus is and what he has done. At the center of our service, what do we do? We don't hear a TED talk. We listen to the word of God. We go to God's word. When we respond in worship, the words on the screen aren't like inspirational thoughts. They're truths about God. Amen? It's all at the center. It's meant to remind us week after week, what's to be the center of my life? God. Like a lamp in a room is to be in the center. God is to be in the center of our lives. And therefore, we must guard against anything else coming in to the center stage. And quite often, that's my own ego, my own desires before God himself. Another way to phrase this and to hopefully drive it home is oftentimes when we're looking for guidance, we view God as some kind of a cosmic life coach. God, where are you in my story? That's usually the way that we ask God for wisdom. Like God, my life is a stage, and if you could be a stagehand, that would be fantastic. I've got this agenda, I've got this plan, I sent you the PDF the other week. 
in my prayer, and it'd be great if you could just supply all of my needs according to my good desires and will for my life. So be honest, when you're looking for guidance, and many of us are, even this morning, it could be practical guidance about your finances, big decisions about where you move, what job you take, or if you're at school, like how you relate to your peers and your teachers. But oftentimes when we ask, we're asking God, where are you in my story? But what we learn from the lamp is God is to be in the center. And therefore the question changes. Instead of us saying, God, where are you in my story? We should be saying, God, where am I in your story? This is your world. This is your kingdom. You've created me for your purpose. Where am I in your story? Or if I have your permission, and it doesn't matter because I have the microphone, let me use one more example. (laughs) I've used this before, but it's very helpful to me, especially having lived in, in London with my family for five years where we didn't own a car. So you got around the city by train or taxi. And let me use that as a metaphor. The guidance of Jesus is like a train and not a taxi. Let me explain why. The taxi follows your instructions. The train does not. You don't show up to a central London train station and say, hey, conductor, I would like to take the scenic route. They're like, I don't care. We're going to Exeter and you either get on board or not. This is where this train is heading. The tracks are laid, the the, the coordinates are set. This train is leaving the station. Whereas in a taxi, you're like, here's my money. I'm a customer, I'm a consumer. I'd like you to take me from point A to point B. I would like you to take a right here and a left there and I'd like to arrive at this time. And if you're not going fast enough, then I will remind you of the money that I pay you. Do you see how this is a helpful metaphor? We often treat God and his guidance like a taxi. Hey God, (laughs) got a big decision coming up, but I got some money for you. I've been a good Christian. I even went to church on Sunday when they had all the kids in the room and I didn't get distracted. I endured. So here's my my money of holy good deeds for the week, and I would like you to take me on this route to this destination according to my timeline. And God, in his love and in his mercy, says, I am the king of the kingdom, not you. The kingdom of God is not like a taxi, it is like a train. And when we think about God's guidance, he is at the center, not me. And therefore, I'm not asking God, where do you fit in my story? But where do I fit in God's story? He must be in the center. But like the parable of the lamp, he also must be out in the open. Jesus is making very clear to his followers here in Mark chapter 4 and to us today that his light must not be hidden from view. And in this parable, Jesus makes the most obvious point. Who lights a lamp? Like imagine you're in this this ancient home and you gather the kids around like, kids, it's dark. We're going to light the lamp and put a bowl on top of it. The kids would be like, why did you do that? It's pointless. Why would you light a lamp in order to hide its light? Of course you wouldn't do that. And of course we should not do that with the light of Jesus. We should not hide what we know to be true. 
It should be out in the open, which leads us to the second key. So first of all, if you want guidance, you need to understand God's place in your life. He's in the center, you are not. His light, like a lamp in the room, is to be placed in the middle and out in the open. But secondly, you need to accept God's purpose for your life. So where's his place? Like a lamp in the center. But what does that tell us about our purpose? As you're thinking through your decisions, as you're thinking about the direction of your life, you need to do so accepting God's purpose. What's the point of bringing a lamp into the center of the room? Well, Jesus says in verse 22 to 23, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. What happens when you turn on the light? The darkness goes away. It exposes the darkness. And in many ways, Jesus, in using this short parable, is speaking of himself. Jesus is the light of the world, and he's come into our dark world. He's arrived like a light in the darkness to live for us and to die for us and to rise again for us, and he must be in the center. And when we place him in the center, two things happen. There's an exterior light and illumination, and there is an interior light and illumination. There's an outward and an inward. So here's God's purpose for your life, and you need to keep this in mind as you're seeking guidance from him for how to live, how to make your decisions. The first is that we must show the light of Jesus. When you think about work, and you think about relationships, and you think about marriage, and parents, and children, and your neighborhood, you should think, first and foremost, how do I show the light of Jesus if you are indeed a follower of Jesus? Think of yourself living in the ancient world, very rural, and it's pitch dark and you're traveling. You would hope to see that a house who has a lamp will be shining in that, that dark valley because you can tell someone is home because the light is on. Right When you're in a rural place and you see a, a house, you wouldn't tell that it was a house unless the light was on if it was pitch dark. And in the same way, people need to see our lives and go, oh, the light is on. The light is on in that person's life. Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, staggeringly, you are the light of the world. Wait a minute, isn't Jesus the light of the world? Yes, but like the moon reflects the sun, we, the little light, reflect the capital L, big light. A town built on a hill, he says, cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify you. No, that's not what it says. That was a test. You guys, you guys pass. Somebody like, no, that's not what it says. Glorify who? Your Father in heaven. Meaning, the purpose of your life, the, the guidance that you need is primarily about showing the light of Jesus so that other people can see him and know him. 
It's not meant to point to yourself. When you live life according to God's truth and wisdom and people see that and they experience it and they acknowledge it, the point is not for your glory, it's for God's glory. When people see your life and they say, oh, you're so wise, you're like, I know. It just comes naturally to me, I guess. I don't know where that is on the Myers-Briggs, but I'm just wise, you know. (laughs) That's not the point. You are to be like a signpost impacting the lives of all who are are around you because the invisible God is made visible through his people. So what's God's purpose for your life when you're thinking about all your decisions and trying to find guidance? Think about this. How can I show the light of Jesus? How can I show the light? Keep it simple and don't assume this. We all say, yeah, that's pretty basic. But you know what's sad? I often don't think about this when I'm making decisions. I assume it. Yeah, I'm a Christian, light of the world, whatever. Anyway, what's the cheapest option? (laughs) What's the easiest option? What's the simplest option? But rather, my first question should be, how can I show the light of Jesus in my decision? Try that one tomorrow morning. Whether you're going to school, going to work, or you're at home, or you're seeing the community members, you know, in your neighborhood, whatever it might be, Wake up and say, God, how can I show the light of Jesus? Because the way that we treat one another, the way that we speak to one another, the way that we spend our time, our money, the way we function in school or the workplace should have such a strong distinction that it points to Jesus Christ. And friends, this is not rocket science. Last week, I uh, was flying to a a conference on the East Coast, and I parked my car in the economy parking lot of LAX, and I I got on the bus. The bus takes you from the economy lot to the terminal. It's probably a four-minute ride. Here's what happened. My bus driver was so friendly and nice. And by the way, this was like 4.30 in the morning. It was early. I was in a bad mood. Because there was an accident on the floor. You don't need to know this detail. It, it was hard. It was a hard morning, right? I'm just like, ah. Oh. And I get on the bus, and this guy's like, hey, how are you doing? I was like, what? I lived in L.A. for 10 years. I don't think anyone said to ask me how I was doing. In this four-minute span, he's driving, and there are these people that forgot to wait at the right stop for this bus. And normally, the buses just say, forget it. You missed your window of opportunity, and the bus goes by, and you got to wait like another hour for the bus again. But the guy stops and he waves. He's like, no problem. Pulls over, opens the door to these people who were irresponsible and missed the bus. And they get on and the guy starts giving a commentary. He says, you know what? I've been driving this bus for years. And back in the day, I used to get irritated and I wouldn't pull over for people who didn't wait at the right spot. But now I do. And people say, oh, you're such a good person. But he says, you know what? I'm not a good person. There's no one good but God. And I was all, Oh, my, it's 5.15 in the morning. And I literally at the back of the bus, I'm like, are you a Christian? He's like, yes, I am. Are you? I was like, yeah. I'm like, we're saying that. Here's Alaska, Terminal 7. Like, ah! Four minutes, people. Four minutes it took for this bus driver to do something that caused people to say, why would you do this? Because of the goodness of God. 
It's astounding. I was so convicted because I was in a mood. And I was like, this guy, in a matter of minutes, on a bus at LAX, where many don't expect to see the kingdom of God breaking in, mind you, <laughs> unless you have caffeine, which you know usually helps chances, which I did not have. He reflected the goodness of God. You are the light of the world. But he didn't, notice how, I was amazed. I'm still impacted by this. He's like, people say you're good, but there's no one good but God. I was like, ooh, preach that sermon. He was preaching a sermon on a bus. This is not rocket science, friends. You have an opportunity every day and in every way to reflect the light of Jesus. In fact, it's because for 2,000 years, men and women have been following the way of Jesus and reflecting that light to the world that even the world in which we live in has been absolutely shaped by the truths of the Bible. I love church history. I love reading how men and women over the age, throughout the ages, have impacted the world in which we live. And there are so many things that even in our country, in our time, that we take for granted that have come about because of the truths of the Bible and people who followed them. And this was brought home to me when I was living in England, when I was introduced to a book written by a man from India, born and raised in India, but who went to school in the West became a Christian, and he wrote a book called The Book That Made Your World. And his whole point of the book was saying, you need to realize that so much of the world that you live in actually comes from the Bible. And so take his word for it. Listen to what he says. I call the Bible the soul of Western civilization because it propelled the development of everything good in the West. Its notion of human dignity, Human rights, human equality, justice, optimism, heroism, rationality, family, education, universities, technology, science, compassion, literature, economic progress, and political freedom. No big deal. And the rest of the book is to show how all of these concepts that we all take for granted, even atheists take for granted, actually comes from the light of God's word, whether people realize it or not. What's God's purpose for your life? Show the light. How do you find guidance? You ask God, how can I show your light in my relationships? The way that you treat one another with dignity, husbands and wives, dignity. Your neighbor with dignity. If you're single and you're dating, show that person and treat them with the utmost dignity. Your children, dignity. Show the light of Jesus at work or at school through your integrity and through your commitment. Show the light of Christ through the way that you help people in need where you don't even get anything back from it. You don't even get a pat on the back because you know what Christ has done for you. We have opportunities every day to show the light. The alternative is to cover the light, to remove God from the center but that will only steer us into danger. And there will be darkness in the way that we treat one another. And that is the word that comes to mind when I see men and women being treated badly, horribly, unjustly. What term comes to mind? Darkness. You say, oh, that's dark. That does not come from the light. 
Here's why I wanted to keep this very practical and down to earth. My concern is that many of us wanna see radical change in our world. Many of us wanna see radical change even in our, our nation, our state, our county. But my question for you is, are you being faithful with your witness to the people right in front of you? I often hear amongst many Christians a great concern for the bigger picture, like, oh, where's the state going? Where's the country going? And I say, are you being a faithful witness for where you are right now? Are you being faithful to shine in front of literally your neighbors, the people that you work with or go to school with? Those are the people to whom we must show the light of Jesus. That's the external light. But if you're gonna show the light of Jesus, you need to know the light of Jesus, amen? If there's gonna be an external light for travelers to see walking by that ancient house, that light not only illuminates on the outside, it illuminates what is on the inside. You not only see the house from afar, but you see things within the house when the lamp is placed in the center. So what is our purpose? How do we find guidance? We need to ask the question, how can I show your light, Jesus? But that only comes if we know the light of Jesus. His light must shine in our own hearts. His light must shine in my own life. So what does it mean to make decisions knowing that Jesus is the light? Well, there's a couple of aspects that are important. To know Jesus as the light of your life and the lamp unto your feet is to know Jesus as the truth. Light and truth are often used interchangeably in the Bible, just like sin and darkness are often used interchangeably in the Bible. It's contrasting untruth, lies, sin, darkness with Christ, truth, life, and light. So think about what this means for a moment, that when you're finding guidance, you're trying to figure out how to live in your life, to know God is the light means that God will never lie to you. I wonder how often you reflect on that. God will never, ever lie to you. Isn't that good news? Because even some of the people we love the most have lied to us. Maybe your parents, your children, maybe your spouse has lied to you. And that is so difficult to deal with. And if we're honest, we've probably lied to them. And that's why there's this whole issue of trust both in society and even in our own families. We're like, how do I know I can trust you? Oh, honey, I promise I'll do this. I'm like, sure you will. I've seen your track record. And sadly, we then project that onto God. God makes these staggering and astounding promises in the Bible, and we're like, we'll see. We'll see about that, Lord. We'll see about those promises. But listen, friend, God has a 100% perfect track record throughout all of human history, and you're not gonna be the first one that he's gonna fail, amen? <laughs> we think, I don't know, God. God's like, really? Like, I literally created the world. I've like been faithful to Abraham and everyone in between and you're doubting? <laughs> like, think of the word, one of the reasons I love reading the Old Testament, by the way, is you just see 
the faithfulness of God over and over and over and over and over and over again. And it brings such courage to my own heart. God has never been unfaithful. God will never lie to you. And that doesn't only mean that he won't say something untrue, but what he has said, he will never change from it. One of the verses that came to mind this morning, it's not on the screen, is in the book of James, where the author describes God as the father of lights from whom every good and perfect gift comes. And then he adds this little line, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. That's a very technical way of saying, you always know what you're gonna get from God. You don't have to wake up in the morning and know which God you're praying to. Like, is God grumpy this morning? Or is he in a good mood? Because that'll determine how I pray. <laughs> my kids often do that, you know, with me and, and my wife. Like, which one should we ask? And they, like, counsel among themselves. Well, I don't know. Dad's a little grumpy this morning. He had to go to LAX. So, you know, maybe we'll ask mom. And Listen, there's no variation or shadow of turning with God. He will never lie. He's forever faithful. You always know what you're gonna get, what you're gonna get. but also to know God's light in your life as your guidance means he has no hidden agenda. God has no hidden agenda. Or to put it another way, there's no fine print with God. In a world in which we're often wondering like, oh, this person wants to hang out with me. I wonder what they really want. Because let's be honest, it even happens in the church. Somebody's like, hey, can we just meet up for some fellowship? And you get together and they're like, hey, by the way, surprise, I'm part of a multi-level marketing scheme and I just want to sell this product to you. And I thought it'd be great. I just want to bless you with a deal. <laughs> oh, sorry, did I touch a nerve? <laughs> some of you are like, preach. In any case, we've all had this experience of like, what's really going on there? Listen, with God, there's no hidden agenda. He has been crystal clear about his purposes for your life. You could not be more clear than God has been clear about his purpose for your life. There's no fine print. He's made it absolutely clear in his word how we are to live, what our purpose is for. So he is to be known as true in our lives. But he's also to be known as beautiful in our lives. Sometimes the idea of light, the concept of light can seem a little callous and cold, like a fluorescent light in like a stark white room. But the way in which the Bible talks about light is also to talk about it as beautiful, wonderfully illuminating. God is not only true, he is beautiful. He is glorious. And light is used in such glorious ways. Like when you see paintings in museums and they're just painted with the right light and they're shown in the right light. It's just beautiful. And so to know God as light and to ask for his guidance in our lives is not only to know what is true, but what is good and what is beautiful. But there's also a convicting element to this, friends. Because light exposes darkness. Not just the darkness in the world, but the darkness in our own hearts. See, like a lamp in a house lighting up your path so that you don't stumble or fall, because God loves you, his light 
will expose sin in your life. His light will expose some of those choices you're making that don't honor him and don't honor the people in your life. The greed, the lust, the things that you're allowing in your mind, his light will expose what might otherwise trip us up. And that is not because God wants to rob your joy, it's because he wants you to have true joy. He says, I don't want you to stumble and fall. And so this morning, we would do well to ask God, where is it that you are shining your light in my heart and in my life right now? What is it that I'm not seeing? What is it that I've grown numb to? What is it that I'm making excuses for that go against you and harm other people that I've justified and I've hidden in another room in the darkness that you want to expose? You have a choice this morning. As the Holy Spirit shines his light in my heart and in yours, exposing the areas that are tripping us up, we can choose to take that bowl and cover the light. We can choose to take the lamp, say, ooh, that's, that's a little too illuminating. I'm gonna hide it under the bed. And Jesus' word to us is in the same way that nobody who needs light in the house would ever hide it. Why would you hide from the light that I'm bringing into your heart? See, we're not only called to show the light outwardly, to know the light inwardly. We're to know his voice. We're to yield to the conviction of his Holy Spirit. And we're to help others see the light. There have been and will be times within the church where you might have to come into the life of a friend or a community member here and say, hey, the path that you're going down is not good. And I'm coming along and I'm pointing you to the word of God to expose that. Because this is sin, it is wrong. And because God loves you, he's exposing it. This is an opportunity for repentance. We must not hide the truth of Jesus and we must not hide from the truth of Jesus. This is his purpose for our lives, to show the truth, but we can only show the truth when we know the truth. So the question we should ask every day is how can I reflect Jesus in my decision? When you're in a moment of temptation, whatever form that temptation takes, ask, how can I reflect Jesus in my decision? And don't just assume that you're doing it. Make it explicit. Do whatever you gotta do. Write it on your bathroom mirror. Put it as like a calendar alert on your phone every five minutes. Reflect the light of Jesus in your decision. Reflect the light. Your boss is like, oh, you're, you're blowing up. Oh, yeah, with Jesus, hey. <laughs> Reflect the light of Jesus in your decision with your spouse, with your parents, with your children, with your friends, with your family members, with that person you're dating, with that person that you're, you're working alongside. How can you reflect the light of Jesus in your decision? And friends, this is not a one-time event. 
it must be done continually. We must rely upon his light and his guidance continually, and that leads to the last point. We not only must understand God's place in our life, in the center, out in the open, understand his purpose for our life, to show and to know his light, but also we need to embrace God's promise to your life. All of this is based on God's promise to you. Relying on God's guidance and walking in the light is a lifestyle, and lest we give up or grow discouraged or even disinterested, Jesus gives us a promise about what happens when we continue to lean on him and obey him for guidance. He says and closes with these words. In verse 24, consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So Jesus is speaking of how we hear, how we listen to him, how we receive guidance. If you want the guidance of the light of Jesus Christ, we must hear well and we must hear often. And if you continue to receive, more will be given. That's the encouragement. But there's also a warning. Unfaithful hearers will end up hearing nothing at all. That is, if you continue to reject his truth and his light, the distance will become even greater than before, ultimately leading to eternal separation from God. But because God does not want that for you, he's come as the light of the world to live, die, and rise for us. Receive and hear him. So the key to spiritual guidance is constant hearing and receiving. The more you do, the more you will grow. The more understanding you will receive, the more you will become like him. But this principle is also used by Jesus to describe the way that we show his light. In Luke's version, Jesus says it like this, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I love this, friends, because it's a total reversal of how the culture sees our resources. Jesus says, give it away, show the light. This giving and emptying of yourself is, ironically, the way to fullness. Well, how can I do this? How can I live in this, this way? Will you find the power to do this for Christ when you know that this is what Christ has done for you? When Jesus came into our world, he emptied himself. He gave not just some of what he had, but all of what he had. And he refused to hide from you. And he came and lived on our behalf, died for our sin on a cross where he experienced the ultimate darkness that our sin and guilt deserved in our place so that we could be forgiven and rose again on the third day to destroy the power of darkness in our lives so that we could walk in the light of his acceptance and his forgiveness and his approval and his power forever and ever. This is what Christ has done for us. He who was rich became poor so that you who are poor might become rich. So his invitation goes out to all of you and to me. Walk in the light, receive the light. And when we allow the light 
light of Christ to break in to our hearts, we reflect him to this broken world. If you are here this morning or joining us online and you have not received Jesus as your savior, the light is shining into your heart and your mind right now. Say yes to him. Say yes right now from your heart. Say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and my savior. Forgive me and save me. And for us as a church, let's come into the light. Let's ask his light to shine in our hearts and expose any areas in which we're hiding or we're hiding something from him and invite him to expose any areas that require repentance, knowing that he has promised to forgive. Let's ask his light to shine right now as we receive. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that your Holy Spirit right now would illuminate what we need to see in our hearts and what we need to know about you. I pray for your Spirit's sweet conviction exposing any areas of sin or sin patterns in our life or foolishness. And I pray that we would see it for what it is, your loving voice saying, hey, this is tripping you up and it needs to stop. And you say that because you love us. And so I pray that we'd respond, Lord, and say, yes, Lord, I receive this. I turn from this and receive your forgiveness. Father, if there's areas of darkness where we're just discouraged, just feel like giving up. May we remember that you have promised to fill us, that you have promised to guide us. May we hold on to your promise. May we make you central. Even now, our time of response, may it be a way as we sing and as we receive communion and pray, may it be a way for us to make you central. In Jesus' name, amen.